Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. She immediately arose and she began to serve them. I believe that what we see here is a woman who is serving out of thankfulness, thankfulness for what Jesus had done for her immediately as he spoke against that sickness, and she was completely healed. I don't believe that it was simply because it was her responsibility as mom or her place to serve that she did this. Again, speaks more of that heart of gratitude for what Christ had done in her life. As Christians, do we live our lives as thankful people? Not just thankful in general, but thankful for what the Lord has done in our life. Today, we hear Pastor David teach about the sick woman that Jesus healed. She immediately got up and served. This was out of thankfulness. She was no longer sick, and she knew why and who had healed her. How about you? Have you responded to the touch of Jesus in your life? Maybe it's time to show Him your thankfulness. He deserves it, don't you think? Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message entitled, Give Me a Fix-It Messiah. I'd like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk and a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of God to make me love a black man or a white man, as the case might be. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb but not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack, if you would. I'd like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Those were the words written by Wilbur Reese back in 1970s. He was writing it again as just kind of a declaration of the attitude of what he saw much of the church was. I don't know about you, but I don't think that the heart of man has changed very much in the last 40 years. We're kind of the same attitude. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us, and it shows us over and over, that the heart of man hasn't really changed since the time of creation. Earlier in our study of Luke, we looked in Luke chapter 4, that's where we're at this morning, but earlier on in that chapter, we saw where Jesus went to two different synagogues and two different cities, and we spoke about Jesus being in the house. One, his hometown, the synagogue there in Nazareth, as he went there, he he was totally rejected. His message was totally rejected. They attempted to kill Jesus. They attempted to quiet his message and destroy his ministry. And that's exactly what the enemy continues to do today. 
But there was another synagogue, the synagogue in Capernaum where we're at this morning. Well, that synagogue, as Jesus spoke in there, again, its message was greatly received, at least in an outward way. They were all amazed and they spoke among themselves saying, what a word is this? The problem was, is their hearts weren't changed. Their hearts were not changed in any kind of a lasting way. And this is the same type of issue that I believe James deals with when he writes to the church. In the book of James, in chapter 2, he says, Someone will say, oh, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith by your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there's one God? Well, you do well. Even the demons believe, they tremble. But you need to know, oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead. What James is saying in a, in a nutshell, not only to the church of the first century, but to you and I here today, is that true faith is life-changing faith. True religion is life-changing religion. And yet here in the synagogue of Capernaum, there was no significant change in the hearts of those people, even though they had experienced Jesus in the house. They had listened to his teachings with their own ears. They had seen his miracles firsthand. They had personally experienced his power and his presence. And yet even with firsthand experience of Christ's preaching and his supernatural power, they did not have a true living participation with the fullness of the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man. And that's why Matthew's record tells us that a little later on in Jesus' ministry, he condemns Capernaum because of their failure to repent. Beloved, it takes true repentance to enter into that fullness and that relationship with Almighty God. $3 worth of God, sorry, that's not available. It's all or it's nothing at all. This morning, we're going to continue on here in Luke. And as I said, we're in chapter 4. I invite you to take your Bibles, turn there. We're going to begin looking in, in verse 38. In verse 38, three short events within the life and the ministry of Jesus. Verse 38 and 39 speaks about the healing of Simon Peter's mother-in-law. And then we're going to look at a multitude or at least many people that were healed of sicknesses and even demonic possession in verses 40 and 41. And then in verses 42, 43, and 44, we're going to end it up, people again of the area trying to keep Jesus there in their own community. Each one of these events only takes two or three verses in this one chapter. That's all we really see it. It doesn't seem to be of any major significance in the overall gospel message. And yet, all three of these events are mentioned both in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so for me, whenever I see that, I, I see the not only is each gospel record important and it's trustworthy, but when I see at least three of them, and sometimes all four of the gospel records speaking of that, well, that kind of gets my attention. You know how it is, it's like when you were young, and your parents called you by all three names, okay? You, they, they were wanting to get your attention. And when I see this kind of a thing, I, I want to say, okay, there's, though it might be a short passage, it was important enough that all three of the gospel writers gave it to us. 
So what's being said to us today? All of this is happening in and around the city of Capernaum. Jesus had been teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. He'd even delivered that man from demonic possession there in that synagogue of Capernaum. The people were impressed. There's no doubt about it. The people were excited, but it was only in an outward way, an emotional way. The word says they were all amazed. They spoke among themselves. What a word is this? And as they left the synagogue, it tells us there in verse 37 that the report about him went out into every place in that surrounding region. Why? Because the people went out and told people about Jesus, this miracle-working man. There's already a growing popularity of of the ministry of Jesus uh, of Nazareth. We don't see it here in the Gospel of Luke, but we know in the other Gospels that his ministry had been going on for a while. People in the area were hearing of it, and now the people of the synagogue of Capernaum, they're going out into all the surrounding regions. They're adding to the reports of his ministry and of his power. And as the synagogue service there in Capernaum ends on that Sabbath day, we find that Jesus, perhaps with some of the others, they now move on over to Simon Peter's house for Sunday afternoon dinner. Capernaum was Simon Peter's hometown along with his brother Andrew. There was another family there, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. They were partners with Peter and his brother Andrew in the fishing industry. All of them lived there in Capernaum. So here's where we find the first of our three events in two short verses, 38 and 39. In verse 38 of chapter 4 of the gospel according to Luke, we read, now he, speaking of Jesus, now he rose from the synagogue and entered Simon's house. But Simon's wife's mother was sick with a high fever, and they made request of him concerning her. So he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she arose and served them. It should have been a pretty normal event. They go to synagogue, and after synagogue, they come back home, and mom's got dinner all prepared, family and friends gathering together. Perhaps some of you have those very kind of plans today, although most of you, I know, go to restaurants more than cook at home anymore. But it's that kind of an idea of what's going on here. Mom would have had dinner already, but the problem is on this particular day, on this particular week, she's sick. She's very sick. Luke, the physician, tells us that she had a a great, a, a high fever. According to the other gospel accounts, she was even bedridden. I think all of us know how that can impact our life. When I was a kid, my mother was in the hospital for a few days when I was very uh, much younger, and all of the boys at home, and my dad being a good dad, he thought, well, I'll take care of the problem. He went to the store. Mom's in the hospital. Dad's in charge. Okay, you already know there's a problem, right? Dad goes to the store, and he finds out that canned spaghetti is on sale. So he does the logical thing. He buys a case of canned spaghetti, brings it home. He's going to take care of the kids. Well, we got two problems with this. Number one, canned spaghetti is not my mama's spaghetti, okay? And number two, after two or three days of canned spaghetti, you're done with canned spaghetti pretty much for the rest of my life, okay? (laughs) But I will tell you this, I believe that that's when my brothers and I really learned how to pray. We prayed for healing for my mom really quick. Well, we don't know how long Peter's mother-in-law had been sick, probably uh, just simply because of the way events happened. 
probably maybe even just that morning, you know, this thing. But it got so bad that she was there in bed. As the synagogue service was over, Jesus and the others came into the house. As Jesus comes in, they tell him of the woman's sickness, and Jesus goes to her bedside. And we read there in verse 39, so he stood over her, and he rebuked the fever, and, le- and, and it left her. And immediately she arose and served them. In short, it's a very interesting story. Jesus, without any kind of fanfare, no showmanship at all, but in his compassion for this woman, he simply does what he was called, what he was empowered to do. Matthew tells us that he touched her hand. Mark tells us that he took her by the hand and lifted her up. But here, Luke just simply says, he stood over her, rebuked the fever, and it left her. Luke, I believe, brings out again just the the powerful authority that Jesus has over all of his creation. He rebuked the sickness. You need to understand there's no demons involved in this sickness, in this particular sickness. She was just sick. And Jesus rebuked that sickness and it left her. And immediately she arose and served them. The awesomeness of that healing... instantaneous. But don't lose sight of the last portion of this. And this is where I want you to look at this morning. She immediately arose and she began to serve them. I believe that what we see here is a woman who is serving out of thankfulness, thankfulness for what Jesus had done for her immediately as he spoke against that sickness and she was completely healed. I don't believe that it was simply because it was her responsibility as mom or her place to serve that she did this. Again, speaks more of that heart of gratitude for what Christ had done in her life. Because she had been touched by the master, it made a difference in her life. And so she arose and she served them. Beloved, a life that's truly touched by Jesus will never be the same. A life that's truly touched by Jesus will desire to serve him in every way possible. But remember, this is more than just healing. Many people were healed by Jesus, but not all of them were their lives truly changed. A touch of the master's hand does not always bring about a changed life. I believe that many of us can testify to the fact that either in our own life or in the lives of loved ones, God had done miraculous stuff in the lives, and yet they did not turn their heart and their life over to Christ. And they're not serving and following him. But let's move on. As Jesus and those that were with him there lingered there at Simon Peter's house through the day, the sun began to set. This marked the end of the Sabbath day. When the sun sets, that was the end of the day, the beginning of the new day in the Jewish mindset. So as the sun set, Sabbath day is over, a new day has started, the restrictions of the Sabbath day are now done away with, now they're back into the freedom that they would have through the week, and as the restrictions of Sabbath ended, the people of the community began to move about, and so we come to verse 40. All those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying out and saying, You are the Christ, the Son of God. And he rebuked them. He didn't allow them to speak, for they knew that he was the Christ. So here, 
outside of Simon's house, we, we don't know how big the crowd was. I mean, uh, one thing for certain, the word had been getting out all over. Just as we read earlier, the people in the synagogue, they were amazed, and so they spread the word about him into every place in the region. Yeah, we don't know how big it is, but I would imagine it's probably a pretty good-sized crowd now that's outside the house of Simon Peter. As a matter of fact, as soon as the Sabbath restrictions had been lifted, the people of the community, it says, brought to him all who had any that were sick with various diseases. It says that Jesus laid hands on every one of them and he healed them. And again, for Jesus, it wasn't a show. It wasn't an exhibition. Again, it was the compassion of the God-man reaching out toward the people who were suffering at that place and at that time. And it wasn't just the sick that were being healed. There were many who were demon-possessed that were also brought to him. And the demons weren't too happy about that. As a matter of fact, as they came out of the people, they, they came out crying and, and proclaiming, you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus rebuked them. He didn't allow them to speak. They knew who he was. He wasn't just a local miracle worker. He wasn't just a, a local healer. No, this is the Christ, the Son of God. Even the demons recognized that Jesus was the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ, much more than an exorcist, much more than a healer. He was the very Son of God. The demons got it. You, you realize that. The demons got it. But I believe that the volume of the Scriptures show us that most people missed it. They just did not get it. Why? I believe because they were so self-focused. I'm going to go get healed by this one. This one, whoever he was, he removed the demon from my brother-in-law. Brother-in-laws have demons, you know. Uh, whatever it might be, it was, it was a more of an internal thing, an internal focus. But one really important thing we need to realize, Jesus didn't need a demonic public relations team. He didn't need them going out and declaring that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. You might even say that Jesus, all through his ministry, he resisted the world's system and the world's ways of promoting his ministry. How did he do it? One life at a time. As he came and he moved and he ministered to different individuals. Oh yeah, there was multitudes of crowds. Don't get off the focus. It is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We don't get saved in mass. We, in, in, in total, with a large crowd, we get saved one-on-one -on -one in that personal relationship with Christ. We don't know how long into the evening that Jesus ministered, but the story goes on here in verse 42. Now, the next day, it's the next morning. In verse 42, he says, Now when it was day, he, speaking of Jesus, Jesus departed and went into a deserted place. The crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the gospel of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose I've been sent. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. In Mark's gospel, it tells us that Jesus rose long before daylight, went out into that deserted place, that solitary place, and there he prayed. 
no matter how long into the night he had ministered that night before, Jesus still rose early in the morning in order that he might have a time of solitude and quietness with the Father. It was his time of recharging. It was his time of refreshing, laying it all down before the Father and also receiving back from the Father. And beloved, if that was so necessary in Jesus, the very Son of God, God in human flesh, if that was so necessary in his life, don't you think that it might be at least some necessary in our lives to get recharged in that quietness of life before God. Problem is, is during his time of solitude, during his time of prayer, he gets an interruption. Why? Because the crowds desired more. They came to him. They tried to keep him from leaving them. One of the Other gospel records tells us that Simon Peter, our boy Simon, came to him and uh, said, hey, the the crowds are looking for you. It seems like Simon Peter was always the guy that got pushed ahead. You know, hey, it's it's time to stop this. You don't have time to pray. We've, We've got ministry to do here. Boy, there's a real problem in that, isn't there? Jesus had received the Father's direction. And so his response to Peter and to the crowds It was pretty direct. It was pretty much to the point. He says, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also. It's because for this purpose I was sent. Now that might seem cold. It might seem heartless. But it's really not. As a matter of fact, it shows the greatness of the heart of God for all of the people. It shows that Jesus and the Father's love was for the whole world, not just for one small group of people. It's at this point that I want us to pause. I want us to consider why did the people try to keep Jesus from leaving them? Whenever I read that, it says that the crowd sought him, they came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. I think of the father on my big fat Greek wedding, okay? Why do you want to leave me? Why was he so worried about his daughter leaving him? Because of his own personal needs. He didn't care too much about the daughter's future. Why do you want to leave me? Because she had a future. And here, why do you want to leave us, Jesus? Jesus' calling was much more than just that community. So why did these people try to keep Jesus there? Was it because they understood uh, at at least as much as the demons that Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ? He was the Son of God, the promised one, the Messiah? Or, Or was it simply because they had found this amazing man And whoever he was, he had the abilities to have their sicknesses cured, their oppressions relieved, their their demons removed. Or maybe there's a third option. Maybe they believe that as Messiah, he had been sent to them to have their sicknesses cured, their oppressions relieved, and their demons removed. I think it could be the second or the third choice. I think it could be either one or a multitude of them how much they understood about Messiah or didn't understand that Jesus was Messiah. I believe that, again, when we look at the context of the Gospels, the the time and time again where the most important thing in the lives of the majority of the people during the time of Jesus was they simply wanted a Messiah who would cure their sicknesses, relieve their oppressions, and cast out their demons. It's all I want. I want a Jesus that's 
going to take care of my felt needs. I want to fix it, Messiah, is what I want. We can all remember the marketing campaign, WWJD, What Would Jesus Do? While this became somewhat cliché, the concept behind it is crucial. In each and every circumstance, we need to consider not only what Jesus would do, but what He did do when He was here on earth. As Pastor David teaches through the Gospel of Luke, we'll see exactly what Jesus did. We're sure today's message has been a blessing to you. Maybe you'd like to get a copy of today's message. Here's Tracy with all the information you need. Life these days moves fast. From one appointment to the next, most of us race through our days with blinding speed. Those in-between moments are great opportunities to connect with God by hearing from Him. To hear more encouraging words from God's Word through the ministry of Pastor David, go to TheOpenWord.com and click on the Teachings page. Thanks, Tracy. Again, to secure your own copy of today's message, simply log on to TheOpenWord.com and select the Teachings page. You can also give us a call if you'd like. That number to call is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Another option to get in touch with us is to send us an email. Our email address is info at theopenword.com. Once again, you've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel in Casa Grande, Arizona. In the next edition of The Open Word, David will continue teaching through the Word of God. So please make plans to join us again, and may God richly bless you. Make us more.